everyone. It's great to be there here at this really exciting event. This is a great time for me from the SEA to be here with you all, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you about world coffee research. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am a sort of plant physiologist, ecologist by training, now turned rather dangerous coffee generalist, which means anything to do with science and coffee is fair game. Uh, I exist to be a membership resource. And part of that is helping coffee people understand important work that's going on within the scientific community and also helping the scientific community understand that the coffee industry is important. So what is WCR? World Coffee Research is a nonprofit coffee research institution that's based at Texas A&M University in the US, although it is extremely international in scope. Uh, why am I here talking about world coffee research? Well, the SCAA shares most of, if not completely, its membership with the members of WCR. Uh, WCR is industry funded and therefore uh, exists for the industry for the whole benefit of the supply chain, the entire supply chain, not just the roasting companies that pay for the work, but uh, everyone involved. Ultimately, uh, World Coffee Research, it exists to enhance the supply of coffee quality in the future and enhance the livelihoods of those who produce it. And so this exists because, of course, we all know there are a lot of challenges facing coffee right now. Um, climate change, low yields, pests and disease, um, lots of barriers to quality and barriers f for throughout the supply chain. So one way that World Coffee Research is addressing this is through the IMLVT, the International Multi-Location Variety Trial. This is just one of the projects that WCR is working on around the world and it has to do with thinking about how we understand coffee now so that we can better use it and breed coffee for the future and what that looks like around the world. So it involves industry, of course. Uh, industry is putting pressure on the, the global supply of coffee. We want high quality coffee in the future. Um, that is the pressure that the industry puts on it. Um, there's science that needs to be involved, and also coffee producers. And so these three sort of parties are working on this project. The IMLVT is an exchange of the world's coffee varieties, essentially, facilitated by World Coffee Research. Since they are a sort of non-competitive platform, they've been able to accomplish this work that no one has ever been able to do before, which is to actually bring different country institutions together at a table and say, look, you're all gonna be in trouble. We're already in trouble. There's a huge crisis putting a lot of pressure on coffee and we need to act together to find some solutions. So lots of country specific institutions and uh, breeding centers and academic sources have come together to contribute or bring some varieties to the table 
and say, these are the, the varieties that we think from this country, from our producing country, that we feel have the most promise because of what we know about it. And those varieties are being planted in what we call a common garden setting all around the world. So planting these varieties in the same common garden over and over in different coffee producing countries all over the world is a first because many of these coffees uh, have never left their home country before or where they were bred before. And therefore, we don't know what uh, amazing potential they might have when they're grown in a different environment. This really gives us an unprecedented global platform so that we can sort of understand what exists right now that we might no not know the potential of, and also uh, it gives us a very unique experimental platform so that world coffee research can start to really understand how environment infects or environment affects the genetics and the genetic expression of these different coffee plants. So it starts like this. There's an agreement for cooperation, right? All these institutions got around the table and they, they decided to be a part of this project with World Coffee Research. And 35 varieties from different uh, origins around the world were selected to be part of this variety trial. Now, they are being planted around the world, and some of them are already planted, some of them are still being planted. It's um, depending on the harvest seasons and the different institutions that are partnering with WCR around the world. Uh, this takes different times and different periods uh, of the world. So after they're all planted and they grow for a few years, World Coffee Research and the partners in country that are monitoring these plots are gonna to start to amass a huge database of information on everything about those coffees. In fact, uh, what's really exciting is that I just heard this year, this spring, for the first time, WCR actually received the first data from one of the field plots uh, that have been fully planted. And it's very basic data, like how much growth there was in the past year or something like that. But it's the first data that will enter this database and it'll help WCR and also this data will be publicly available eventually where scientists from all over the world are gonna be able to look and see uh, depending on different regions, different environments, different microclimates and all of these parameters that will be recorded about where the coffees are growing, how they're performing. And this is going to allow WCR, as well as all those participating in-country institutions, to figure out which coffees are doing really well in different regions or which are not, and which, which coffees do well everywhere, and which might exhibit some really great flavor profiles or have amazing production, uh, whatever it is, this information is all going to be used in the future when WCR uh, creates new lines of coffee that is necessary for basically so we can all keep drinking great coffee in the future. Um, WCR is doing a lot of coffee breeding work that will take years. And this is a long-term outlook. It's, it's really tough um, to sell to the industry sometimes because even for me, I think, well, how can, 
how can we promote this program and this project that's going to take maybe five years or maybe 10 years or 15 years before we see results, but ultimately you all want to be in business that long. So this is why we care about it. Uh, WCR is already starting to do some really interesting breeding work in prep for when they have more information from this international location variety trial. So genetic improvement, uh, you all probably have heard that Arabica is a very wimpy coffee plant and has a very low genetic diversity. This is a huge problem for it and is the primary reason that it's not equipped to deal with the challenges that we see in the, right now and also coming soon in our near future. Um, so genetic improvement of coffees, what that means really is that WCR is looking to breed resilient coffees, um, ones that have a bigger toolbox to work with and can take stress. They're resistant to problems like coffee rust. Uh, they have high quality and of course, productivity is always important. And really, you all probably thought I was gonna talk about sensory science today, right? <laughs> so I'm getting there. Uh, a part of this work, of course, is how the coffee tastes, right? Uh, well, WCR, in doing all of this breeding work, in thinking about the future of, of coffee lines that they were going to breed, they realized that they really needed a rapid method of screening for flavor and quality uh, while they were doing all of this research on breeding and genetics and environment. So they looked for a tool that would fulfill this need and it didn't exist. And that is what really prompted them to Look, look to create a new project where they would develop a tool that would create this collaboration and communication between research and industry and allow them to rapidly develop these coffee varieties while taking flavor into consideration using scientific methodology. Ultimately, to improve something or to change something at all, you have to be able to measure it. And that's just not, uh, not only relevant to genetics, but it's relevant to how coffee tastes. So what I'm talking about here is the WCR flavor lexicon. <laughs> uh, why a lexicon? Well, for WCR, therefore, the goal of creating the lexicon to begin with was to understand and name the primary sensory properties of coffee and to create a replicable way of understanding those qualities. And like I said, they really needed to develop this tool because they knew that if they were really going to address the need of the specialty industry in the future, that flavor had to be one of their top considerations and therefore they had to be able to measure flavor. Now, what I'm talking about is is the flavor of coffee. And so this uh, begs that I take a moment to, dis to make the distinction between quality coffee and the qualities of coffee. Um, we know the way that we evaluate quality coffee. It's with this holistic 100-point scale. Um, 
The qualities of coffee, however, the flavor attributes of coffee, can be measured using quantitative descriptive analysis. And this is a methodology that's common in sensory science. These, or this method uses flavor attributes and quantifies, quantifies them, gives definitions for them, um, creates references for them with an intensity scale, which is shown here on a 15-point intensity scale. This is all designed so that scientifically the flavor of any product can be defined and measured. This is used, um, they didn't, WCR didn't invent lexicons. Lexicons are used all in all sorts of industries and they're used to track product changes or during product development or um, companies use this when they need to sub an ingredient. They want to figure out if two of their products are different or they want to compare their product to other products in similar categories in the marketplace. So this begs the question, who makes the lexicon? Uh, these guys trained panelists in sensory scientist laboratories. It is their full-time job to evaluate products using quantitative descriptive analysis and they do that for things like, well, all of these things. Um, they've defined lexicons for all these types of products, including some really weird ones. Um, these are all mostly food, I think. But uh, there can be textural lexicons. There can be lexicons for cat food and dog food. I don't envy their jobs sometimes. Uh, so. These exist to evaluate products, and for the WCR sensory lexicon, specifically, uh, trained panelists at Kansas State University and Texas A&M both uh, used their professional trained panels to evaluate coffees. Um, the primary work of the lexicon was first conducted at Kansas State University, and there they evaluated over 100 coffees from 14 countries, which included over 150 hours of evaluation. And these panels also trained a ton. They trained a ton on any product that they work on. Um, after Kansas State University created the initial lexicon, there was validation with two other trained panels, including one at Texas A&M, and they also had an industry group that worked with them over the course of this whole situation to make sure that they didn't get too ivory in their tower. So what the lexicon looks like is this. There is an attribute name, which is the example for Blackberry here, and the attribute name is defined followed by a reference. And this is how it works for the entire lexicon, uh, for all of the attributes. And then there are intensities that are listed for each of the references, and the intensities are on that 15-point scale that I mentioned earlier. Now, this 15-point scale is really why we need trained panelists. This is their job. They are trained to be human instrumentation. Literally, uh, they are so trained on this scale, they can go out to dinner with their partner and say, oh, this tomato is really like a 3.5 tomato. 
yeah, it's pretty sad. <laughs> but also really cool um, because they do this all the time. So, <laughs> again on this point, uh, the descriptive terms help us understand coffee, uh, but they don't, they're not telling us uh, if it's good or not. I like to call this a non-judgmental tool. And uh, that's because it's very, it's very complicated, really, to explain or to think about the difference. Because, of course, everyone has their preferences, right? Um, you might really like certain, certain qualities in your coffee, certain flavors in your coffee. But different markets like different things. So this is why, really, it's, it's not a quality measurement. It's, it's a measurement that quantifies flavor attributes. Okay, what is WCR going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? Well, on the WCR side, they're going to take this to the next step, which is chemistry. Um, there is going to be a lot more going on with the lexicon at Texas A&M University. Their, their trained panel there is going to be uh, continuing to evaluate coffees using the lexicon over time, and they're going to amass another database uh, from which they can pair with instrumentation or pair with the chemistry side of things. And uh, this guy, uh, this is Dr. Chris Kurth, who works at Texas A&M University, and he's using a sniff port on a gas chromatograph, which is essentially, uh, they put the material in, uh, the machine breaks down whatever they put in into its individual compounds. And as the individual compounds break out, if someone is standing next to that thing, <laughs> that hose, they will be able to smell that compound if there is a detectable level of that compound uh, in the product. So there's chemistry, there's trained panel evaluation, and they're all going to connect this in order to create a large database that, if you think about the IMVLT again, the variety trial again, this is really exciting. And this is where it gets great, because this experiment that they've set up enables us to ask some amazing questions about why coffee tastes the way it does. This is the kind of thing that I hear over and over again. Pretty much my whole job is answering very small bits of that question, right? Why does coffee taste this way? What's the effect of this on coffee flavor? What's the effect of that on coffee flavor? Finally, this is going to be a scientific method that puts it all together so that we can answer some of those really exciting questions. An example that some of you may have heard of is this Castillo versus Katura uh, small experiment that was done a couple of years ago with CRS. And this begged the question, of course, <laughs> What's the difference between an 83-point coffee and an 83-point coffee? I don't know. <laughs> um, if you have a Castillo and a Katura in, in this example, uh, the question was really, what's the difference? And, and the trained panel at, at uh, I think it was Kansas State University, did this work uh, with the lexicon. And they came up with this graph, uh, which is telling the story, essentially, of how you can really quantify how those two 83-point coffees were different. Um, you can see with the chart below the graph here, 
there are three attributes that are circled, and those are the three attributes that the trained panel found to be statistically different between those two coffees. So for the first time, we can understand how two coffees that seem very similar in their holistic quality can quantitatively be determined to be different in specific flavor attributes. Now, what about us? This is a bit of a teaser for tomorrow. Uh, I hope you can all join us for the tasting session tomorrow, which will allow us to go far more in depth on this topic, including much more about the flavor wheel. Some of you may have seen this. Uh, it is the new SCA slash WCR, Coffee Taster Flavor Wheel. And the SCAA, I can, I can speak for, we saw the WCR sensory lexicon as the catalyst for this work. We knew that it was time to redo the flavor wheel when we finally had a scientific approach to apply to it. And the lexicon gave us the vocabulary for the wheel. And we had to do some additional work to figure out, of course, the orientation and placement of everything on the wheel. But ultimately, uh, WCR was the catalyst for this big change for us in the industry. And I'm really excited to talk more about that tomorrow with you, um, including some really fun tasting of some references and some coffees. So uh, with that, I'll say thanks. And I'll take questions now. But also, remember, there's three hours tomorrow where a lot more of this will be discussed. So thank you very much. That was fantastic. I was furiously scribbling down notes as you were uh, as you were doing that presentation. Um, you brought up something that has been playing on my mind a lot, and I didn't know you were going to mention it, but about the Castillo and Katura trial. And I had we talked about it on the podcast, didn't we? Um, yes. And I was kind of I was super frustrated with the results that came out of that because I looked at it the scientific approach. I think which is important if we're actually going to claim that it's science, to have a scientific approach seems like a good start. Um, but then a, a very small pool of judges who are all from a very similar kind of background and style and, um, and those results came up. And I just found that super interesting. That I knew nothing about that, that there were those differences there on those copies and certainly attributes that perhaps wouldn't be more favourable to the other attributes that we're looking for in quality coffee. Is there some plans to do some more with that with WCR and when, what, what came out of that basic trial there? Yeah, I think that that is just one example of projects that can be done now. And this lab at Texas A&M University, it's Dr. Rhonda Miller's lab, who unfortunately couldn't be here today, but she and her trained panel are going to be devoting a certain amount of their time now for the foreseeable future on coffee projects. And this is for WCR, but also they will be available to others who want to hire them to do work and evaluate other coffees. And all of this can be used for them to further validate the lexicon. And like I said, it just opens up all of the exciting questions that we have about coffee. 
Do you, uh, I think generally in coffee what, what happens when there's new advancements is that there's a large section of the coffee community that pretty much just says, ah, no, no, we won't, no, won't, be, won't be doing any of that, won't be having any of that. Like, do you get much of a kickback or you get people like... Won't be ha- having any coffee? No, I mean, like, like, do they, is there a lot of people like objecting to the research or saying that you can't quantify these things that, or is there any sort of kickback that you're getting from the community or is everybody just on board? Well, uh, most of everything I've been hearing is about the flavor wheel, to be truthful, because I work for SCAA, not WCR. Yeah. And uh, just to clarify, I am here talking about, I, I talked about WCR for most of this, but uh, the SCAA, uh, although we share lots of membership with WCR and we're very involved in WCR, our executive director, Rick Reinhardt, sits on their board of directors. Um, we we're friendly with them, but we're not the same organization. So I focus a lot on their work because I'm the scientist uh, at SCA, and it's one of my jobs is to help industry understand what important work is being done around the world in the scientific field, and WCR is doing a lot of that right now. Um, so I can talk about the reactions to the wheel. Uh, I've heard some reactions to the lexicon. I think overall, like. It's been so positive because we've really needed this for so long and lots of industry leaders have been calling for a solution to the cupping form or an alternate to the cupping form for years, especially around this problem of flavor quantification versus holistic scoring system. So I think that's a really positive step and I've heard great feedback on that. Um, I'll say that uh, Certainly there's been uh, some feedback about uh, how this can be used around the world right now, which uh, we're working on addressing. But uh, yeah, it's been really positive. And for the flavor wheel, of course, we've had the flavor wheel. The original one was created over 20 years ago. And we all know that it was far overdue for a revision. So um, that feedback has been really positive also. I think also the um, uh, Rhonda came on to one of the Tampa Tantra podcast talks and talked about um, uh, like how the lexicon is to be used. And I think there was a general misunderstanding at the beginning from lots of copy professionals how the lexicon, you know, it's like, oh, I can't use this. And it wasn't meant for them to use. It was there as a resource, but it really is for these sensory scientists who are trained to use lexicons to actually be able to quantify. And I think when you get past that part, you start to really see the value in, in that lexicon being there. Well, and, yes and, and no, if I can jump in. Uh, I think that we are not going to be the human instruments that I described here, but uh, as the industry, I think there are some amazing immediate takeaways from the lexicon, and we're gonna be talking about that more tomorrow, but essentially to have a definition and some reference for any flavor uh, on the wheel or otherwise used in our language as coffee professionals is a huge step forward that we can take immediately um, because there is this definition. We never had definitions for these flavor attributes before. We never had definitions for anything that was around the previous version of the wheel and, and now we have definitions for all of it and we have references. So. I don't think, and I don't think it would be appropriate for all of us to try and teach ourselves the 15-point scale for these 105 attributes or whatever it is. That's not what we're saying 
anyone should do uh, because those trained panelists do this like full-time job all the time. But what we can do is use any one of those references as a starting point for communication within our industry, like between facilities or plants or roasters or export importer or whatever it is. And um, I'll definitely just go ahead and address the question that everyone has because we're in Europe. Yeah, a lot of the references right now are only available at American supermarkets. <laughs> and uh, I, I know, I know that. Um, <laughs> but I, wanted to, I, I do want to tell everyone that uh, we're working on some solutions to that. As this becomes more widely used, other trained panels will start using it in different areas of the world. And therefore, there will have to be an academic uh, determination of the translation of those references for different regions. And that will happen naturally. That will take a little bit of time. In the meantime, we are working from the SCA side, we're working on an industry specific solution to that that I hope to see uh, materializing within the year. So we get like black pudding and veggie white and things like that on there. <laughs> I think when, when the SCIA takes over the SCIA, that'll speed it up. Aggressive takeover. <laughs> Do we have a question quickly? Because I know we're, we're quite tight in time. There we go. Halfway up, not too much exercise like that. Hey, Emma. That was great. Um, I have um, been using the lexicon quite much already. I'm a big fan of it, both at Origins, like Cockney. Uh, copying at origin, it's like it's super good to actually like nail down what it is, and we can both go back to how it actually is, and we are using it as well for our introduction as to cupping courses uh, that we're having at the roastery, and it's working like it's a lot of things we can take away from that. The more I'm cupping and the more intense I'm cupping, I'm focusing a lot on the aroma, especially on the Yes, grounded coffee. How much have you been looking at that and the correlation of, I mean, I mean that I can smell like nearly everything from the grounded coffee, but of course this is changing when you're adding the water. Is this something you've been looking at, like the grounded coffee compared to uh, the final flavors, like the taste and aroma coming together? Yeah, I think I heard a couple questions there. I'll try and talk to couple of topics, hopefully I understood correctly. Uh, one is that this kind of analysis is going to help us answer those questions about things like grind, things like water, how they affect coffee flavor, for sure, um, because these panelists can be commissioned to do studies on these things, and we can do the chemistry part of it while at the same time doing the sensory part of it to really get a better idea of exactly what's going on um, in the cup. I think um, the other part of your question, can, can you say that again? Yeah, mainly I'm just super curious of how of the actually like final cup that you're, you're tasting, how much of that you can actually get in the direct grounded coffee. Oh, wow. Hmm. I don't know the answer to that question. That's an amazing question because essentially it's it's all about uh, coffee brewing, chemistry and extraction, right? Um, there needs to be a lot more research on that. 
and I hope that uh, in the next few years the SCA can put that forward because it's really needed. Um, there are hardly any studies that really address this right now. But um, I don't know if you've noticed probably, if you said you're using the lexicon a lot, that there are some references that are for aroma and there's some that are for flavor. And those are differentiated um, because our senses, like we call it the flavor wheel and, and I think it's all integrated in the flavor wheel because when we drink coffee, we can't turn off one or another sense. It's all together all the time. Um, but when you're evaluating coffee, you do evaluate the aroma. So we'll do this tomorrow some where aroma intensity can also be quantified separately than flavor intensity. Um, and I know that the human nose can perceive or you know the, the, the nasal olfaction can really uh, sense more compounds than uh, in the mouth purely taste. So it's definitely a complex thing and everyone has their own genetic and personal experience to tasting. Can I do one more? That, uh, that guy with the nose hose is going to be very busy. <laughs> Can I do one more? Um, no, I'm actually like more want to hear a little more about how you work with the 35 different varieties uh, that you're using. I think for me it's like, okay, I hear the word Darwin and I know that the variety is adapting to the to the origin and the microclimate and the is this also research you're doing in the same project or how does it work with actually like nurseries and how you are using the plants at actually origin? Yeah, in each country, World Coffee Research has different partners depending on the government or institutional setup for the coffee sector in that country. And each of those partners will be responsible for the, the plot or plots within that country. And they will be collecting sort of, they will all be responsible for collecting the same basic, like growth production, um, environmental data, but uh, all of that can be used to pair with sensory information later, and each of those institutions could also collect lots of other things over the years. They could collect more data um, for their own purposes or for sharing with WCR, um, I think. To start with, they're focusing on the main factors that will be important for production and quality in coffee. Um, fantastic presentation. You're also going to be joining us for the panel at the end. Um, we've also got tomorrow as well, so we won't ask you too many more questions because we'll wear you out. But please, huge round of applause for Emma Sage. <laughs>